Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. I recently heard the term volunteerism. I hadn't heard of it, so I did some research and I found out that it was something that I really needed to know more about. So today I have invited Adrian Giovanni to join us to explain all about it. Adrian is a representative from UNICEF Australia. Thank you, Adrian, for joining us on With You Every Step. Thanks, Michelle, and, and thanks for having me here and for dedicating some time to such an important topic such as tourism and orphanage tourism. I think it's really important that tourists and travellers are informed about these social issues when travelling. So so thanks a lot. Yeah, and that's when I started this podcast. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that people travel, but they know what they're doing when they are travelling. And this is something that I've found that a lot of people are doing, but might not know the consequences to their actions. So I thought it was a really important topic. Can you explain the term volunteerism? Because I actually didn't know much about it. Volunteerism refers to short-term volunteering that tourists and travellers participate in while travelling or, or, or when they're on holidays. And so that's where the word comes from, volunteerism. So it combines the word volunteer and tourism. Mm-hmm. And so volunteering usually takes place in developing countries where travellers you know, see poverty and marginalisation and, and are generally moved by it. So a volunteerist might engage in different forms of volunteer work. Um, That can be, for example, teaching English, taking part in construction work, distributing food and materials, and also sometimes helping out, and I I put that in inverted commas, helping out in orphanages. And I have to say that all these forms of volunteering and volunteerism do raise some concerns, particularly when volunteering involves children Mm. or orphanages. Yeah, and I went to Africa two years ago now, and... It was the first time that I was put in a situation where we were taken to an orphanage. I had bought some skipping ropes to take to the children because they had suggested we're going there and we're taking the group and if you would like to take anything or donate money. So I thought skipping ropes would be a good idea for the children to play with. So I took them in and I gave them the skipping ropes and they weren't impressed. Not the children, they didn't give them to the children, gave it to the people that work there. And they weren't impressed with it. And something in me went, this doesn't seem right. Something here doesn't feel right. So that was the first time that I had experienced that situation and went, oh, something here is a bit off. And then that's when I started doing a little bit of Googling and found out this term that now I have learned that there is more things behind what I was seeing. No, definitely, definitely. And it it can be that they were disappointed because you weren't providing financial donations. Yes, uh, which very much it was. That could be the case. Absolutely. But they had already been donated 500 US dollars from our group and I still, Mm. they were still not happy. And I was like, oh, something don't feel right here. Yeah, no, that that definitely does happen. And and as mentioned, uh, volunteerism in itself raises concerns, but in orphanages, particularly so. Because first of all, if we start, if I can, how about I start with volunteerism first, and yep. then we can get into orphanage tourism, which is a form of volunteerism. Okay, go for it. And also, before I start, I would just like to underline and make clear, you know, that most tourists and travellers who volunteer have great intentions. Absolutely. And they're generally moved by what they see, and they generally want to help when they visit developing countries. Because you know, you you struck the poverty and the marginalisation that you that you see. So I just want to make sure that our chat today and what I'll say doesn't intend to be a harsh criticism. 
to yes, people who have volunteered in the past. Yeah. Some some of the listeners may have done this in the past, but it's more our chat that I hope it just will start making people reflect on this, maybe pass on this information to to others, to families and friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's the whole reason behind it is to make people aware of what is happening. Exactly, and don't be too harsh on yourself if you've done this, because millions of people volunteer. Made that last year, 1.6 million people volunteered. Don't be too harsh on yourselves. Again, just take this uh, information and pass it on to others. Yeah, because I've also I've always felt guilty that I haven't done it, thinking that it's something that I should be doing. Yeah, that, that's quite common. A lot of people are also swayed to believe, you know, by by the companies, and they they lead you to believe that that volunteering in orphanages or or while you're travelling is beneficial to communities, but in reality, it's not always. Mm. If not done properly. If I can, Michelle, can I just flip things around to your question? Sure. I would just like to ask you, how comfortable would you feel if a random foreign tourist, your town or your, your suburb, had no specific qualifications and you didn't know much about his or her background, how comfortable would you feel if this person just taught English for a few days in your child's school? Or if this same person participated in the construction of your house, how comfortable would you would you feel about that? Not at all, no. But, you know, I guess for us living here, people do have tradesmen and women coming into their places, but they're around. But this is about being around your children, right, without supervision. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you wouldn't feel comfortable. You'd be concerned about having this random person who you don't know about entrusted to to work with your children or teach, you know, in a school where your children go to. Yeah. But even think about your house. If you're constructing your house and you have this you know, random person who comes there with no real experience and starts, you know, participating in the construction of your house, you'd probably be concerned that that house would crumble at one point because the person didn't have relevant experience. So, yeah. so this is this is the first issue with volunteerism is that volunteerists generally don't have the relevant experience or qualifications or skills to undertake that volunteer. And often organizations don't require volunteers. So of course you can understand how this the volunteer work isn't at the end that useful. It can actually sometimes be detrimental to your house, for example, if you're constructing a house, but also to the well-being and, and development of, of your children um, if the person doesn't have relevant skills to do that specific job. So these are not school teachers going into the schools and teaching? Often not. Often they're, they, these are, are travellers who English may be their first, but not always even their first language. And they might be teaching English in schools or orphanages. And they really don't have experience either in teaching, but also in just dealing and working with children. Okay. Because working with children is a profession. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think in Australia, you, you, we would never allow someone to work in a school if that person didn't have relevant experience and qualification. Well, these days you don't want them around your children at, at all, let alone teaching them if you don't know who they are because you just don't know what's going to happen. That's exactly the point. So, you know, in Australia, we, we wouldn't accept that. So why do we think it's okay mm. in developing countries? Yeah, that's something really to re- to reflect on, and uh, and that's and what you just said. I think is really important. Or a, a way of seeing this is flipping things around a bit and try and see things from the perspective from the other side, um, and ask yourself, would I like this to happen in my community? Would I like this to happen with my children? If you ask yourself that question, I think you can often come to the realization how volunteerism and orphanage tourism specifically can be detrimental to communities. So with volunteerism, what are other things that fall under that bracket? So you mentioned orphanages, but what else falls under that bracket? A lot of volunteerists um, will, will engage in, in teaching, in uh, caring for children, in construction work. 
delivering materials. So there, there can be various forms of volunteerism. Okay. Other concern also with, with volunteerism is also that most of these assignments are short-term. So, so going back to the example of your community, again, how comfortable do you feel if, if someone who came, maybe had experience in teaching, but how useful would it be if that person came in, taught your child for a week or so, and then another person came in after a week with different methodology, different approaches, and then another volunteer came in for another week and so on for, for the entire year. You understand that what they would have is very disruptive and, and wouldn't have any positive outcome yeah. on, on your child's uh, learning. And how long do people normally go and do this for? Do they go for a week or do they go for two months? Is it, you know, is there an average time? It can change. It really depends. It can be, you know, on a three, four week travel across Southeast Asia. They might even stop off for a couple of days or a week. Sometimes these tours are a bit more organized and people can volunteer for, for a month or a bit more than that. But generally, they're all very short or at least too short to actually have a minimal, meaningful contribution at all. In a learning process of a child, in the construction of your house, if you want to go back to the example of constructing your house, you imagine having someone come in, work on your house for a week or two or even for a month, and then someone else comes in with different skill set and different approaches. It's just a very disruptive process that doesn't lead to good results. The results are usually poor and there's not much impact. Mm. And then they've got people constructing houses that don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's exactly. And, and you know, I've come across communities that have had to patch up the bad work done by volunteers in construction. Uh, so the houses they constructed, they constructed at the end weren't that well constructed. Now, so actually community members had to come in and patch up that work. Mm. So one of the other concerns about volunteerism, and if you think about it, is that volunteer placements often take the jobs from local skilled people you know, who are willing and eager and need to work or learn a trade. So, so just imagine a scenario where you know, you're a construction worker, you're a teacher, or an, or an aspiring construction worker or teacher, imagine how difficult it will be for you to work and find a job if you had tourists visiting your town and, and your, or your suburb engaging in free work. I was under the understanding that the people that are volunteering is because there's no people to do that work. Is that just not true? That is a, a misconception. Yeah. Most communities have skilled people, qualified people, or people who even want to get into that trade. But if you have, you know, hundreds of volunteers, thousands of volunteers coming through your community and volunteering, doing work for free, well, it will be very hard for you to, to even create that industry or that trade within your uh, community. Mm. And even if it is the case that in a, in a community there might not be a certain skill, because it can happen that a certain community doesn't have that skill uh, or no one in that community has that skill, wouldn't it be better to and more effective to pass on your knowledge and your skills to those communities rather than actually doing the job. And that, that's that's the most long-term sustainable way to do things. You know, I'm sure you've heard about the, the, the story of someone's hungry, it's best to teach them how to fish rather than provide them yeah. with fish. So volunteering, if it does happen, and, and then we can we'll see how it can happen in, in an effective way, really should be focusing on transferring skills to communities and, and individuals rather than actually doing the job. Let's say, for example, that someone wants to become a travel podcaster like you. Yeah. And they had no skills, no experience in the area, and you wanted to help this person. It would be better for you to, to support this person behind the scenes, teach him or her the inside outs of podcasting and so on, rather than actually running a few podcasts, right? That's right. Hey, I'll just do it for you. That's not going <laughs> to exactly. work. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the same thing we have to think about when volunteering. 
if we do have certain skills, you know, if we are teachers, if we are, you know, construction workers, let's go there and teach local communities. If that skill isn't present there, we can't assume that it's not present. That's another thing. It's a bit condescending sometimes. We have this vision that in, in, in poorer countries, they don't know how to do things. They do. They just sometimes lack the resources to do so. But even where, where there is a lack of skills, our approach should be more about that, about let's, let's enable them to, to do that work rather than do it for them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And of course, this is something that I hadn't even clicked about, but it makes total sense. Exactly. And that's why I encourage people, as I said before, let's just flip things around sometimes and ask yourself, you know, if it would be all right to do certain things in, in, in your community, in your space. And if you feel it's not right here, well, it's not right in other countries either. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with someone recently because when I was in Africa, I was really aware to not take photos of strangers. I don't do it in general. I hate when people just chuck a camera in my face and take a photo. It's a very big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Ask, I'll pose for you, totally not a problem. But I hate when people do that. So I don't do that to others. But I do notice when people are in these developing countries, they often take photos of strangers and they post them online. And most of the time, they're children. And exactly. I think... Would you want your child, a stranger, to take a photo of your child and put that online? Probably not. But it seems like it's acceptable when it's in another country. That's exactly it. And then this happens all the time. And it, it really seems like that if you think about it, these children are, are just tourist attractions, really. The commodities. Mm. You know, we take photos of, just like we're taking a photo of, of a scenery or of a temple or, or something else, and we just post it online. But we would never do that in Australia, for example. You'd never go in the streets and take a photo of a child and post it online and, and write comments on it. No, no. And the ones I did, I had a connection with and I asked them if we could take a photo and they're like, yes, yeah, exactly. but I had a connection with those. They just weren't exactly a stranger it. that you've taken a photo of on the street. Exactly. It, yeah. That also leads us into, you know, discussion about, you know, volunteering with children. Yes. Uh, because we've seen a few of the concerns of volunteering generally, but, but with children, the concerns are much, much higher. Um, because, you know, first of all, as I think everyone understands, in, in our context in Australia, if you work with children, you need to be a professional, someone trained to work with children, and we mentioned this before, and not just any random person. Mm. And this is especially if you're working with children who are marginalised, who are vulnerable, who have suffered trauma, for example. Never in Australia would we allow a random person to deal with, with, with children in these situations. Yeah. So that's the first issue with you know volunteering with children in general is that, you know, it's, it's not, if you don't have the skills or the experience to do so, then why should we be doing it in, in other countries? It, it, it is highly detrimental for the well-being, but also for the safety of children. Some volunteers do have bad intentions. There's been many cases in many countries across the world where volunteers have actually sought to volunteer for organisations that work with children for the sole purpose to abuse children. Oh. So if you have bad intentions, this is a really easy way to have access to children. So obviously these are people that haven't been caught previously, right? Because if they had, yeah. they wouldn't be able to travel. So these are people that exactly. seek this out without anyone knowing what they're up to. Yeah, and the vast majority of child offenders aren't caught. 1% mm. of cases of child abuse are reported and even less of those cases actually solved than the perpetrator is found. So you understand that there's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of child offenders out there that have never been caught before. So that is why allowing the random person to volunteer with children, and this isn't, regardless of developing countries or not, in Australia also, and we mm. know that, is not good. And in fact, in Australia, we have systems in place to, to avoid this from happening. 
Yeah, but I mean, the working with children check is only if you've been found to be yeah. doing the wrong thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is this is the, the main concern with you know volunteers or, or volunteerism when it, when it involves children. Right? You don't have the skills and, and qualifications to do so. You might have all the good intentions, but that's not good enough to be able to work with children. Now, I would love to be a pilot, <laughs> but I don't think any airline would accept me to volunteer to help pilot a plane, even though I have good intentions and I, you know I'll do my best. It, I don't, it, it's a profession. Piloting on a plane is a profession. Working with children is a profession. So not anyone can do it. Yeah, and I have also heard about the fact that these children, you know, they really fall in love with these people and then they leave them. So they end up with all of these long-term consequences from having people coming in and out of their lives. Michelle, that is one of the key issues and concerns about orphanage tourism. Just to explain maybe what orphanage tourism is, it's a form of volunteerism, essentially when a tourist or a volunteer visits an orphanage or volunteers in an orphanage, especially in, you know, in developing countries. This is very detrimental for children. We've seen why, you know, just generally working with children. But also the actual model of an orphanage is flawed. You know, orphanages and residential care are really detrimental to the emotional physical, cognitive and emotional development of children. And that is why in Australia we don't have orphanages anymore. We've shifted from you know, this residential care model to orphanage model to, to alternative care, to other forms of care which involve, for example, foster care or uh, kinship care. So more of a family-based or community form of care. Because orphanages as a model are very detrimental. First of all, because Children don't receive appropriate care in an orphanage. Low staff to child ratio, first of all. There's a high staff turnover. So children don't receive that close one-on-one care that they need in order to develop emotionally and cognitively and physically in a healthy manner. Mm. That is just doesn't happen in an orphanage. Then children also have problems reintegrating into society. You know, they grow up removed from their communities, removed from their families, and so then they grow up lacking those connections and those emotional and social skills to then reintegrate into society as adults. Yeah. So it's quite common for, for, you know, a child when he or she leaves an orphanage then have huge difficulties reintegrating into society with then, of course, long-term, you know, social, psychological, emotional problems. But as you mentioned before, one of the greatest concern is this so-called attachment rejection dynamic. Mm. So from a young age, you know, children are wired to seek an adult figure of reference. Uh, so someone who they, they learn from and they use as a model to grow up in a healthy manner, you know, emotionally, cognitively, and so on. It's innate in all of us to seek these, this figurehead, this, this adult figure. But again, this low staff to child ratio, the staff turnover in orphanages compromises this. And so leaving children in this constant attachment rejection dynamic, where they constantly create these emotional attachments to adults, who then constantly come and go in their lives. So this is really, really detrimental to their emotional well-being. And you can understand how orphanage tourism, so visiting children in these orphanages, brings this to the extreme. So children are constantly establishing these relationships with visitors and volunteers who come, and then they're constantly abandoned by these visitors. Yeah. And when you think that, you know, orphanages, some orphanages accept busloads of tourists at a time on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, so you can imagine how many people these children come into contact with during a time in an orphanage or in an orphanage, which usually is, you know, years and sometimes more than 10 years. Wow. So orphanage tourism really brings this attachment rejection dynamic to, to an extreme. And also what, what you were mentioning before, like 
it, it, we have to remember that this when children become overly clean and eager to engage with you know with tourists and visitors which often happens and which makes tourists feel that they are having a positive impact and that children are happy and that they are contributing this actually often is actually a manifestation of a compulsive behavior resulting from this attachment rejection dynamic oh yeah yeah that makes sense yeah, so sometimes, you know, these cute photos you see of children taken by tourists and the accounts of tourists who describe, you know, how wonderful the children were and, and how happy they were to have them there, in reality, sometimes hide a different background or behind-the-scenes story, which, which tourists obviously, obviously they're unaware of. You know, they actually think they are contributing, but the story might be quite different behind the scenes. Yeah, and I've also heard that some of these orphanages aren't actually orphanages. They actually just bring children in for the day to put on a show for the tourists, get money, and then they send them home. Or some of the children have been given to the orphanages for this reason. Is that something that's right? That's exactly it. It's estimated about 80% of children in orphanages aren't actually orphans. That's 80%. That's a huge number. Exactly. So they have at least one parent alive. And, yeah, this is because, you know, firstly, you know, impoverished families often send their children to to these orphanages because they, they, they think they're going to get a better education and opportunities in future. But often they're actually lured by recruiters to come to these orphanages who promise those same things or sometimes even pay the, the parents to send their children to these orphanages. So they actually get paid to send their child to a place like this? In some cases, yeah, they're either paid or they can be actually just convinced that it's better for their children's future. So, so the parents, you know, sometimes actually think they're doing the best for their children. But these recruiters obviously are only interested in, in getting profits from volunteers and tourists who come by and provide those donations. So that was going to be my next question. What happens with that money that people are donating? Does it, it obviously isn't going back to the family that's donated the child. It's not going to the children because they want them to look like they're in bad conditions to get more money from tourists. Where does that money go? That's exactly it. I'm not saying that every orphanage is like this. Actually, the word orphanage isn't the right word because 80% we've seen of children aren't orphanages. So these so-called orphanages, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, the managers or the people running the, the show actually keep that money and very little is given to children. And as you said, they're, they're in the interest to keep the condition, the orphanages and the condition of children quite dire. So people, you know, will will kind of generate that sense of pity in volunteers and and tourists so they'll donate donate more. Now, I've I've seen myself in in Cambodia, for example, in an orphanage or so-called orphanage, that the the condition of children was quite dire and they were not in a great situation. But we found a a room in the back which had, you know, all these donated materials locked up in a room, like kitchen utensils, beds, clothes, toys, and they're just locked up there in, in a room. Or often they'll be sold. You know, the orphanage managers might might sell them and, and, and get a profit. So that, that is often, you know, often the case in some of these orphanages. And, and also, as you mentioned, because, it's, you know, it, it creates such a profit, we need more orphans. So that's why these recruiters go out there and get children, even if they're not orphans, to respond to the demand of, you know, people who engage in orphanage tourism, because it does bring a profit. It's a huge profit. 
like the one I explained to you in, in Africa that I went to, they had made more than 500 US dollars in one day. I was like, yeah. I don't even make that. That's unbelievable. But yet these children are in such awful conditions. And that's why within me, I think something's not making sense here. Because if they're making this much money, these children shouldn't be in these conditions. They should have shoes. They should have clothes. And you imagine how many tourists come by. So that's $500 in one day. But I'm sure the following day they had another busload of tourists or the week after. Well, we were only one group that came in yeah, that day. So there exactly. might have been multiple other groups that were brought through that day as well. This is clearly, it's, it's a form of exploitation and a form of slavery. So something quite positive is that uh, I think it was late last year, a new legislation passed called the Modern Slavery Bill in Australia. So Australia is actually the first country in the world that has recognised orphanage trafficking. So this process of you know recruiting these children from you know impoverished areas and bringing them to these orphanages to be exploited in these orphanages, it's the first country in the world that has recognised this as a form of modern slavery, yeah. which is a quite a, you know a very positive step because in effect it is. Absolutely, yeah. The more we talk about it, the more it's making me feel really sad because it is quite horrific. And especially because volunteers don't know this, no. tourists don't know that they genuinely think that they're, they're, they're contributing. Yeah, well, one woman that was with us, she donated two hundred US dollars herself. She gave them a hundred, and they kept asking her for more, and so she felt bad. And then they took yep. her to the back and showed her these other conditions, and they smelt horrific. But again, in my head, something was twitching that I was like, "This doesn't feel legit." Like, if you really were asking for money, you wouldn't like feel the need to guilt someone that's already just given you a hundred US dollars to then give you more. It just didn't seem right. No, exactly it, exactly it. It's become a multi-million dollar business. Mm. It, it's estimated that volunteerism um, it, is worth $2.6 billion. <gasps> and that's more Whoa. or less the equivalent, that's the equivalent more or less of two-thirds of the Australian government's aid budget. So what the Australian government gives to countries across the world in aid. And that's, you know, a lot of companies have also profited from this. It's not only, you know, local recruiters, it's also tourist operators and, and other private companies who have organised these tours. Because often these, these volunteer placements are organised by these companies or promoted by universities and schools and, and religious institutions. Yeah, so there are organisations that you can book through, right? Because after I found a bit of this out, I went and did some research and you can go to organizations and they say that you pay like $3,000 for a week in an orphanage. And in my head, I was like, why are you paying $3,000 to go and volunteer somewhere? I don't understand that. And if they, you're paying $3,000 for the week there, surely they shouldn't be in such bad conditions. You imagine $3,000 times, you know, on average, there's like 1.6 million volunteers. Yeah. how much money that is and how much that could actually, if that was channeled towards organisations that, that work on these issues, such as, you know, UNICEF and, and, and others, how much, you know, those funds could actually meaningfully contribute to improving the situation in these communities. Absolutely. So can you explain a little bit about what UNICEF actually does? You know, certainly. So UNICEF, uh, so orphanage tourism would come under our child protection work. Just in child protection more generally, What's important is to enable all the actors responsible for, for the protection of children. You know, you think about it in Australia. Who's responsible for the protection of children is, you know, families, parents, communities, and ultimately governments. Governments are ultimately responsible for the protection of children. So we work to ensure that all these actors have the ability and the capacity to protect children and ensure their, their well-being. So in the case of orphanage tourism, 
we work closely with governments where orphanage tourism is a major issue to help them to develop systems and policies and legislation, first of all, to end residential care and orphanage as a model. Yeah, I was going to say, is that something that's really being pushed because it sounds exactly. like it needs to be? Yeah. Exactly. And, and But also support the transition towards alternative care, so alternative forms of care for children. Because, of course, you can't just close an orphanage and overnight send all the children back to their communities and their families. That's a process, a very complex and complicated process. So we're working with governments and local partners on the ground to support them throughout this, this very complex and sometimes long process because you have to prepare communities and families to receive these children again and, and support them to support those children. Because sometimes, you know, if these families are impoverished, it's difficult for them to, to, to take care of these children. So we might work on income generation activities, um, economic development in, in these communities, essentially to, to, to create the grounds, prepare the grounds for these families and communities to receive these children back. And that is a very long and complicated process. Yeah. Cambodia is a good example. That's where we're doing some very good work and it might also become a model to extend to other countries. So, so with the Cambodian government, we're already supported the development of relevant laws and legislation in this area. You know, I was working in Cambodia in 2010, so talking about, you know, eight years ago when I was there on the ground. And back then, we were talking about this with government. Only now, eight years after, things are actually starting to, to improve. So that shows how long the process is. And now the government has actually set a target of reintegrating 75% of children in the coming years back into the community. So that's, that's a huge commitment by the government. Great. But it is a, a, a long-term process. But if you, if you want to know more, if any of the listeners want to know more about this, you know, you can visit UNICEF Australia's website or UNICEF Cambodia's website, and there's more information on exactly what we do. And, and also the website of, of one of our partners, which is Friends International, which is um, a local organisation working in Cambodia and, and has been working on, these, on this issue for, for a long, long time. And so they are trying to stop these orphanages, but is there any law in place that stops the ones that aren't even proper orphanages where the kids go in during the day and then go home at night? Is there anything to stop those ones? Yeah, so, so part of the, 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 the um, legislation is that, you know, all organisations need to be registered with the government. So, of course, there's going to be organisations or fake organisations that aren't registered, but there's an effort to ensure that any organisation needs to be registered with the, the Cambodian government. And what about in Africa? Do you guys do work in Africa as well? We also work work in Africa, um, and, and the process is the same. But what's really important, if you know you happen to be in one of these countries and you happen to encounter an organisation that is asking you to volunteer with them, first of all, see if it's registered with the government. That's already a first indication uh, to see if the organisation is a serious organisation. So how do you do that? How do you know if they are registered with the government? They should advertise that on their website, for example, okay. because that, that, is a, that is a big thing if you are registered with the government. It actually shows, it shows that you're accredited. So generally in every country, any organisation, any non-governmental organisation, charity, needs to be registered with its own government. So if it's not, that's already a first indication that it's slipping through the cracks and it might not be following the rules. Okay. Yeah, because that was my next question is if people do want to do this and they feel like they want to help, how do they help in the right way? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and what the message we're trying to send is, is not to discourage volunteering. So we're saying for sure, don't volunteer in orphanages. Don't engage in any form of volunteering that involves children. That's for sure. 
and don't engage in short-term unskilled volunteering because we saw you know the negative effects and how non-useful that kind of work is yeah but if you do want to volunteer what we encourage is that you do it in an informed manner and in a smart manner informed means you know do your research you know just listening to this podcast is already a way to understand the issue and, and so on and volunteer in a smart way in fact the, the australian government has a campaign which i encourage you to go and visit online it's called smart volunteering okay i'll put that in the description link Exactly. It's called smart volunteering. It's perfect. That's what volunteering should be. And it gives a lot of resources and advice on what to do and how to volunteer. Essentially, you know, don't trust organizations that advertise and promise rewarding experiences for you, especially at a high financial cost. As you mentioned, $3,000 a week sounds outrageous. So don't tend not to trust organizations that make these huge promises of this being a rewarding experience, especially for you, because it's not really about the volunteer. It should be about the communities. It should be a, you know, a, a rewarding experience for the volunteer, but especially beneficial for communities. I tend not to trust those organizations. And there's a, there's a lot of them out there, isn't there? Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot out there. And I guess that also leads people to believe that it's okay because there's so many of them. So you think, well, if there's so many of them and they're still running, it must be an okay thing to do. Exactly. And a recent research showed that 14% of schools, I think I mentioned this before, 14% of schools, 57% of universities, and 51% of religious institutions in Australia have either engaged in orphanage tourism or promoted it or sent money to orphanages. So up to now, it's been quite common. Mm. But the point is that with all the information available now, I don't really think it's acceptable that these organisations still operate in this manner. No, I don't know how they're allowed to. They shouldn't be allowed to. The fact is it's okay for an individual, like a tourist or volunteer, not to be fully aware of these issues because you can't, as an individual, always be aware of everything. But as an organisation or a company working in this sector, uh, you should be aware of these issues. I don't know how they sleep at night taking thousands of dollars from people exactly. that think they're helping and donating to something good when it's not. It's going to their pocket and they're living in a mansion. Definitely. And, you know, and, and the major companies have been doing something like um, Intrepid Tour, I know, has doesn't offer volunteer opportunities any longer for a couple of years. And they were actually very instrumental in, in uh, giving some advice to government on this modern slavery bill that I mentioned before. Yeah. So you'll still have probably some smaller ones that, that still do it. Universities, and it's not, that, it's not that they all have bad intentions. Like I'm sure that the universities and the schools and the religious institutions I mentioned, they didn't have bad intentions, or most of them didn't. They just probably weren't aware of you know, the impact on communities and, and probably a bit more concerned about the rewarding experience for, for their own people rather than for the communities. But again, now that it's clear what the concerns are and what the negative effects are on communities, I don't feel there's any excuse for these bigger organisations and agencies to, to still continue with this practice. Mm, yep, I agree. And, and also this new legislation I mentioned actually requires any company that has a revenue of more than $100 million to actually report back on a yearly basis on what they're doing to, to prevent or respond or combat uh, modern slavery, which is uh, very positive. The only concern there is that, you know, a company has to be quite big. So we're talking about more than $100 million of revenue. Yeah, and I'm thinking they're making that much money. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is it is a good um, step in the right direction. There is no penalty for organisations that don't report on what they're doing about modern slavery, but they need to pub make their reports public 
So this is an occasion if they don't report or they don't report well, they can be named and shamed essentially publicly. Yeah. But going back to you know volunteering, if you want to volunteer, as I said, don't trust organisations that overpromise or that require you to spend a lot of you know of your money. It, it tend not to to uh, trust those that target tourists and travellers with advertisements during your travel. So if you rock up in a hostel or a hotel and you see these signs or in buses. And these are kind of sneaky ways of, of getting across the message to tourists. So tend not to, to trust those organisations. Don't trust organisations that offer opportunities to work with children in any in any way, unless it's a longer term volunteering opportunity through an organisation accredited and recognised by a government and that requires you to have specific skills and you go through a recruitment process, which is similar to a job, essentially. Okay, so you're not just going to show up and be there and have no experience at all. You are going to be vetted, basically, to be able to exactly. do this. Yeah. Vetted, have a police background check. You know, you are working with children, the same standards you would have in Australia to work with children, which requires you to have a police background check and a working with children check and so on. There should be something similar or as close as possible to that if you are required to work with children in, in a developing country. But again, this is only for long-term volunteer opportunities through an accredited organisation, accredited by the government organisation. For example, the Australian government has um, the Australian Volunteer International Program. You can check that online also, AVI. So if you want to volunteer long-term, when I say long-term, we're talking about six months to a year, and you're a professional in that area, you have a relevant experience in that area, this is a good program, for example. And you, you have, you'll be vetted, you have background checks, you'll have interviews, just like a job. Yeah, that sounds like a better process and a more safe process. But exactly. for those kinds of volunteering positions, what would they be? What kind of things would that person be doing? Well, the, 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 it depends really on the role. It would be like a job, essentially. So these volunteer positions are, are usually um, people who do ha already have some experience in that sector, maybe in Australia, maybe in other places. And so they can contribute. Essentially, what they usually do is work with a local organisation or even local government sometimes you know, work with those counterparts on on certain issues and certain um, areas, but it will be a, like a job. You'll have a job description, have terms of reference for your position, you'll have deliverables and so on. So it, essentially it's you're kind of embedded into a local organisation or, or a government department, for example. So it, it is a job. It's, it's a proper job. You're just doing it as a volunteer for a year. Okay. And if there is anything short-term that people can do to help, are they better off donating to UNICEF or organizations like that instead of trying to donate to an actual place that they think it's going direct to? No, the, the best way, as we said, um, is to donate to organizations that are professionals in this area and that are working on this topic with a bigger picture. You know, as I mentioned before, we, we have this bigger picture where we're working with governments in the long run, we're supporting communities to, to support children. But if we focus on, on individual orphanages or so-called orphanages or individuals in communities, we're really not supporting this longer-term process. Those resources were better spent looking at a more comprehensive approach, which is beneficial to a country or to a community more broadly. So definitely, you know, I would look into the organisation. I'm not saying uh, donate only to UNICEF. There are many organisations working in this sector. Just make sure that you do your research. You look into the organisation you make sure it works to strengthen communities, strengthen families, and doesn't make these huge promises of you know, saving individuals. And, and it's accredited with government, essentially, with the government in your country or the government uh, where you want to, where you're traveling through or you want to donate to. So really do, do your research.
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I just, I'm kind of sitting here in shock thinking how much money is going into this, which is just exploiting children. And so many of us don't even realize because everyone, like we said earlier, they do want to go with the intention of helping and it is in a positive way. Unfortunately, the things behind the scenes aren't always positive that's happening. I just can't believe how much money is in that industry. And I can't understand how frustrating it must be for you guys trying to fight that. No, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's a, it's a uphill battle, but I think the message is getting through. Just the fact, for example, that you're having this session on, on your podcast, which I, again, thank you for this, shows that this issue is, people are starting to know about it and, and the message is getting out there. The modern slavery bill I just mentioned, another positive step in that, in that direction. I think people are starting to, to really hear more about this issue and asking themselves questions about it. Yeah. And I think it needs to be done. And Hopefully we can keep going forward and with things like now the internet, we are so much more informed than we used to be and it is good that the word is getting out there because I guess before it was word of mouth, wasn't it? That's the only way people could know things when now we're, we've got the ability to be able to research ourselves and be able to do that before you go. And I know when you do go to these places in, I've been to Africa, I've been to other places around the world where they take you, the tour company itself takes you there to see these experiences and how other people are living and you can't help but want to help that's just that's just how we feel and it's very hard but i guess from what this is teaching us is that no don't do it that way it's it's very hard it's very hard to understand that because you know people are genuinely moved by what they see in these countries but that's what these companies are capitalizing on on your emotions that's exactly that's exactly the point that's why they're able to to turn this into a 2.6 billion dollar industry. And also, just to even clarify, one other thing that people often ask me is that often I'm asked, you know, people say, I understand this issue, but is there a good orphanage where I can go and volunteer? Or they'll tell me, you know, yeah, but I volunteered in the past, but the orphanage was good. Yes. I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people with that exact same thing. Oh, no, where I went, it was fine. Exactly. But the point is, the actual model of an orphanage, as we saw before, is flawed and is detrimental for the well-being of children. So yes, there are really bad orphanages, the ones that you know ac- actively exploit children and are making a profit. They're really bad, yes, of course, but also the orphanages which are run by people who are generally concerned about the well-being of children, they also are detrimental to the well-being of children because actually, it's the actual model of an orphanage which is, which is detrimental for children, as we saw before. Yeah, which is why we don't have them here anymore. Exactly, exactly. So there really isn't a good and bad orphanage. The, the model is flawed. So also keep that into account because children need to grow up in a family environment. So if they don't have that, if they really are orphans, as we saw, 80% are, but some are, well, they have the right to grow up in a family environment. If it's not their family, it's another family. And this is in the Convention of the Rights of the Child, which is you know a convention signed by, signed by every government in the world except for the United States, but that's for other reasons that we won't get into. They have the right to grow up in a family environment. So that's why in Australia and other countries, the forms of care we provide to children aren't orphanages, but are family-based care like foster care, kinship care, or, or other forms of, of locally relevant care. So that's why, to underline, there's, there really isn't a good orphanage out there, to be quite honest. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because that was actually one of my questions. Is there such a thing? So I'm glad that you've explained that in detail because I think that is a lot of people that have done it in the past. And I understand if you have, I, we totally get it's not done with any bad intentions, but that's the common thing I get getting told is no, where I went, it was fine. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like you've explained, it's the model behind it. And I'm glad that these other people have had good experiences and that's great for them. But volunteering is not meant to be about yourself. Definitely. And again, you know, who's volunteered in the past? Again, don't be too harsh on yourself because millions of people have done it and they've been, you know, persuaded to believe that it is beneficial. Just take this information and, and you know, please pass it on to, to others. That, that's how you can really contribute. Absolutely. And like I said, I've always had this guilt that I've never done it because a lot of my friends have done it. They've been around. They've like, oh, yeah, I went and, and volunteered around the world for three months or six months. And I think, oh, I really should be doing this. But this is my way of giving back is by trying to get people to understand what is happening around the world. And so this is the way I can do it. This is how I'm helping. And I hope it works. I hope people get to understand and have a little bit more idea of the things that are happening behind the scenes. No, exactly, exactly. And, and everyone can contribute their own way. You know, you, you're, you can do it through this podcast, which is really, really useful, but other people can contribute in their own way. And again, it's not discouraging volunteering whatsoever. It's just make sure that you do your research, that you, do, you volunteer in a smart way, and, in, and you're informed and you make informed decisions when you decide to, to research. Again, visit the government website, the um, Smart Volunteering, it has a lot of resources, tools, suggestions, and visit websites of, you know, organizations working with children, such as UNICEF, uh, Save the Children, you know, Plan International. All of these organizations have a wealth of information on their websites about this issue, providing also suggestions on what you can do and how you can volunteer. Great. Thank you so much, Adrian, for joining us today. And it's been really, really informative. Is there anything else that you would like to add? The only thing I missed um, in terms of further information is Rethink Orphanages, which is a, a network or a coalition of organizations working on this issue. So they also have a lot of information on this issue and actually kind of leading these discussions in, in Australia. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope the word gets out there and you guys do amazing work. And it's so nice to have you on today and being able to pick your brain on something that's so important. And thank you again for giving the space to such an important issue because it is important for all travellers and tourists to, to really understand these social issues in the countries where they, where they travel. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.